what's going on everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Dad's Game Podcast. This is Awesome Hazelnuts here. And today we got a special guest. Like I said last week, I was joined by Zero Infinity a week ago and we talked about his experience playing Legends of Runeterra. And then he became a caster, became a coach. And it was really a really good episode. In fact, a lot of people told me that they were incredibly inspired from listening to last week's episode. And this week, we are joined none other than one of the players on Zero Infinity's team, which is coaching. This guy is none other than one of the guys who have been topping every single seasonal tournament. He's been destroying everyone in the Southeast Asia region. And definitely, he's like a powerhouse in my region. And most of the time, this guy is like a household name now. Everyone knows who he is. In fact, I had the pleasure of playing against him in a tournament before. And I guess most of the people who have eventually, you know, played Legends of Runeterra in Southeast Asia region, you guys tune into international competitions. Most likely, you also tune into the various seasonal tournaments. You have definitely seen his name. And today, I'm joined none other than Adele from Blacklist International's Legends of Runeterra division. Welcome, Adele. It's been a long time, man. Hey, awesome Hazelnuts, how are you? So uh, I'd like to give a shout out to all the listeners of this podcast. You guys are amazing. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to be here. Yeah, man. You know, the, the thing about Adele is that I first met him about a year ago. And at that time, right, the Southeast Asia region wasn't there. There wasn't didn't really have a lot of players. And so mm-hmm. when he really... Have to have a player to give me like a lasting impression, right? It's quite tough because most of the time I'll just play and then, you know, I, I just forget about it. But then for Adele, I played against him in a tournament before. And the, the, the best part is that he didn't really give up and he actually counter-swept and destroyed me. And that's why when I, when I saw his name, I was like, okay, I definitely know who this guy is. He's definitely going to make an impact. And I was incredibly right. He eventually plays in a lot of high rankings in a lot of tournaments. In fact, he won quite a, quite a few big tournaments like DOR. He plays second in one of the seasonals and he's going to Worlds. And so Adele, man, can you like introduce yourself and, you know, talk about your journey in LR so far? Yeah, so a quick introduction about myself is actually I'm quite old. I'm a 32-year-old player from the Philippines. I'm actually the captain of Blacklist International Professional uh, Team. And then a quick trivia, uh, my day job, of course, is, you know, when I'm not playing Runeterra, I'm actually a banker. I work in the banking industry, so ah, okay. that may, might be quite interesting for some people. And yeah. then, yeah, during my free time after work, it's just Runeterra, Runeterra, Runeterra. That's all on my mind. Yeah, man. Hey, by the way, this is like the first time that me and Adele are actually speaking to each other. Because other than speaking to each other, sometimes he pops by my stream and it's usually just, you know, text on the on the wall, on the Twitch chat. And the thing mm-hmm. is that he also streams that just Runeterra and we will definitely go into that later on. And so when it comes to Legends Legends Retire, right, Adele, can you tell me about Tyrants, which eventually became Blacklist International? Because when it comes to Tyrants, right, there's definitely a very interesting backstory to that, right? Yeah, actually, Tyrants was formed, like, I didn't expect it to blow up, blow up like that. You know, um, Zero Infinity back then hosted a tournament worth about... I would say 150 Singaporean dollars was the price pool. It was mm. super big back then, you know, when Runeterra was starting. We didn't have the seasonal, so yeah, every every like tournament you can join, you join, and if there is a, pri- a big price, you're very happy with it. So I was quite nervous for the tournament, so I I just posted on the Discord server of that tournament like, hey, um, the tournament's coming up next week. We're looking for about four to six people. Who could like you know form a small practice group 
because back then you know a team wasn't a thing that wasn't a concept because Runeterra is a one-on-one game right yeah, man. yeah I remember that so yeah I I uh, initially wanted just 46 people but I was overwhelmed in the amount of response that hey can we can I get in like I know the slots have been full but is there any way you can you know uh, make it bigger so uh you know I decided instead of being exclusive I want to be more inclusive you know so I think we've reached something close to 20 players so that was you know that was the start I created the server it was mm-hmm. initially um Runeterra Scream group and then later on uh, people have been joining the tournaments from that Scream group and we've noticed that the consistent uh, top cut placers would always be from that Scream group mm. so I I realized um, hey, we, we might be onto something, you know, we might be doing something that works. And yeah, the the the, the people there in that group suggested why why not make it to a team? So yeah, the, that's the where the decision was made. Like, all right, let's do it. Let's become uh, one of the first Rune Terra team. Yeah, then in terms of like tyrants, right? How did the tyrants thing eventually become Blacklist International? Because I remember I was on Twitter and then I was looking at it and then I saw because I did know that you were part of Tyrants because the the just the funny thing when I first added you right for the tournament right I think your your tag was Tyrants or something like that right if I'm not yes, mistaken correct, right? yeah it was that then I was thinking oh so he made a team out of his uh, tag and then eventually the team became Blacklist International so can you tell us how did like Tyrants eventually became Blacklist International the Legends from Terra Division. I just want to go back like you were saying that was the first time we met. Actually, I have a very, very good impression about you too. Mm-hmm. Um, I, in fact, as a matter of fact, I still remember the decks that you bought. It was Deep, Asha Juani, and uh, I think you bought Endure that time. Something like that. So, yeah, uh, it was one of the games where I really thought I was going to lose. Mm-hmm. But, you know, thank God, you know, my... My, my aim for that uh, tournament was really to counter Asha Juani and thankfully, you know, I pulled through. Yeah. So, um, actually, Tyrant was already formed by then. So, the reason for my tag was, you know, uh, we were named Tyrants. Uh, we voted for the name. There are a lot of, you know, goofy names that that, that was suggested. But mm. uh, in the end, Tyrants was, you know, uh, selected among, I think we chose from three three names. And then, uh, yeah, it was quite an interesting journey for us. So we've been winning a lot of tournaments left and right. And um, that's why that's when I decided that I want to be one of the first professional Southeast, Asia, uh, Southeast Asian Runeterra teams. Because uh, at Tyrants, we were just, you know, it was self-funded. Like me, I was just pulling out money out of my own pocket to sustain the team, you know, as incentives. If you do well in tournaments, I'll give you additional money, something like that. But uh, I, I I knew that it was not going to be sustainable long term. So I had to find a sponsor. Mm. That's when the decision was made to um, make a what we call a portfolio. So each player would have um, his tournament placements, like all the tournaments he won. And then we've made into something like a PDF PowerPoint, like a slideshow. So uh, the introduction was like, dear sponsor, uh, we are looking, you know, you know how it goes, like a business proposition. And I sent those to about five uh, esports organizations in the Philippines. And only two of them replied. 
Ah, okay. So we were actually proactive about the thing. We, we I know we were winning tournaments left and right, but uh, it's gonna be hard if you're gonna be like a sitting duck waiting for a sponsor. So I really know uh, knew I had to be proactive about the whole thing. That's why I, I you know sort of knock on the doors of these sponsors. And thankfully, you know, after placing second in the cosmic creation, the the sponsor, which is Blacklist, finally agreed. Yeah, um, I think the the CEO said, yeah, we we might have something going on here. We I see the potential of the game, and it's Riot anyway. So, you know, uh, he was pretty confident on the development of the game. That's why the the partnership pulled through, and we are very very lucky, you know, to be receiving this kind of support from them. Hey man, I don't think it's luck that you got Blacklist International, man. Because I have seen your journey since a year ago. And it's definitely something in which not a lot of players are willing to go through. Because, you know, when they have one setback, they just, you know, they think about it. Mm-hmm. They decide to just quit the game. They think it's not for them. But then as for your entire team, it's not just you alone. It's you and your entire team together. You guys put through from being, like, funded by you yourself. In fact, right, when you told me that you fund the entire team, right, I'm, I'm really... Yeah, I'm really glad you did such a thing. Because, right, when it comes to, you know, players taking out their own, like, money from their own pocket to, like, doing something for the greater good. Because Zero Infinity in the last episode always mentioned that he believes in paying it forward. He believes Mm -hmm. that from the experiences that he has gotten through, like, the many, over a decade of playing card games, right, he was first, like, a rookie. And then a guy let him through the game, taught him a lot of things about magic. And he used this experience from magic, right, to teach the next generation of Legends of Terra players. And then when I see this, right, and you together funding a team, right, and this is the first time, right, I'm not really sure how many people know that the entire Tyrants thing was funded by you. Actually, there's not a lot of people who know it, right? Yeah, yeah, actually, yeah, this is, this might be the first time I'm going public about, you know, personally funding the team. Only a few people know about it, probably just the Tyrants team itself. Man, I feel very honored, man. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Actually, you're very right that a lot of people would probably be you know, disheartened by setbacks. But actually, to, 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 to be honest, that's how my Legends of Frontera journey started. It wasn't easy, man. Like, the first two big tournaments, uh, as I've mentioned, like the, the tournaments organized by Zero Infinity, mm. I, I failed to make top eight in both tournaments. And that was, like, very disheartening for me. Like, I started to question my abilities, you know. I I, I asked myself, am I, you know, made for this I met uh, be great at this game. I like, is it worth the uh, the time and effort that I'm gonna invest in? Mm. So, yeah. Um, you might be, see me as a good player now, but it definitely didn't start it that way. You know, a lot of the big streamers in the Philippines have been saying, "Oh, Adel, yeah, he's he's just below average player." If you if you got to know him in these early days, so yeah. Um, I I started as a really bad player, but um. I didn't let those, you know, setbacks uh, dishearten me or push me back away. So after each loss, you know, I started analyzing, hey, what am I doing wrong? So the first thing I identified was I might be playing too fast. I'm not analyzing the most optimal lines, you know, possible. Correct. I'm not utilizing the best lineups because uh, in my early days, I used to be a one-trick Triple aggro, one trick pony <laughs> using triple aggro. That's the only decks I can pilot well. Mm. So yeah, I've, I think I've, I can definitely say I've come a long way since then. Yeah, man. And 
And the best part about your overall journey is that I remember you, right? You were the one guy, right, who only brought this one deck to the tournament, which is... Okay, I'm going to say it later. And so, right, this one deck that you always brought to tournaments, right, made you become very popular from it. I think you already know which one I'm talking about, but I'm not going to let you say the name. In fact, right, you were the first person that I saw bringing this deck. And when I first saw it during the tournament, the, the Dose of Runeterra, right, I was a bit shocked. Mm-hmm. Because before then, right, I don't see people running... Fiora plus Shen together because on the ladder right I often see the deck and I'll, in my mind I first think oh that's a free win that's a free win because most people they don't really know how to synergize the barriers together and so right if you guys are not aware right to the listeners of my podcast there, there is one player who is on my podcast now Adele he is the guy that popularized Fiora Shen he's the guy that made this deck become like tier 1 I'm not even kidding guys he's the guy that made the deck tier 1 because before him right nobody could play this deck well because legitly right I look across the board, when I see Fioration, I'm like, okay, sure, easy game. But then when Adele is piloting Fioration, you, you suddenly, you, you feel like a stomach crunching, and then you're like, oh my gosh. Yeah, okay, tell me, man, how, how did you come about this Fioration in your lineup? Like, how did you pick up this deck? Yeah, you're very right. Um, Before, Fiora would always be partnered with Garen. Yes. Do you remember that deck? Yes. It was uh, the Bannerman, old school Bannerman. Double Just deny. Mono, yeah, Mono Demasha. And then they'd probably splash it with other weird region for like three off cards. But that's basically it. So uh, I brought it because uh, it was exactly the patch where Shen was buffed from two attack to three attack. Mm. So I think, you know, that that uh, made me, hey, maybe we can experiment with this. And my teammate, Aid, was actually the first one who put together the... Uh, I would say the the core of the deck, mm. and then as we tested it, you know, um, I've tested it, tested it, and uh, we we realized that this might be the only Demasha deck that can stand a bit of chance against uh, Ash Nox because during that period, if you would remember, yes. like Ash Nox was the king of the meta. Like, if you're not bringing Ash Nox to the tournament, you might be crazy, right? Like, yes. you're you're handicapping yourself if you're not bringing Ash Nox. So every single Demasha variant was being slaughtered by Ash Noxus back then. So you have your Scouts, you have your Bannerman, you have your um, Garen Vi. So those were the variants back then um, mm. of Demasha. And they didn't have uh, a chance against um, Ash Nox. But after we've, um, you know, uh, like play testing the matchup, Fiora Shen versus Ash Nox, we were able to analyze like how we can win. And from like a, a, a set of 10 games, the Fiora Shen would probably win 7 out of the 10 games. So that's about 70% win rate. And we were actually surprised uh, that the deck could pull that off. So it was really uh, down to one card, which is Repost. Mm. So Repost is so good against Ashnox. Yes. I mean, that that uh, card just wins the game. And... So that that uh, card would carry you from the mid game, and then when you reach the the end game, uh, the late game, the I think Ash Noxus doesn't have a way to deal with bright steel formation. Correct. Like the game will just end right then and there. If you can drop bright bright steel formation on on uh, the attacking turn of your opponent, so yeah, uh, that DOR actually have a, have a lot of learnings from there, like. I've I've learned to not play 
my Brightseal formation on my attacking turn. The most optimal play would be during your defensive turn. So mm. those were the, were the uh, I picked that up during door. So yeah, very interesting. And uh, actually, that door uh, top cut was very stacked because if you can remember, Flying Fish was also there. Mm. He was actually my first opponent in the top cut, mm. and then. I, I faced another one before you. I, I remember you we faced each other in the semifinals. Yeah. The 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 tournament, right? I remember when I saw Fioration together as Swing Twister Fate, right? It was one of the most bizarre lineups. Because to me, right, especially during that meta, it was like the mid-range king, which is running Ash Sedrani. And the only counter mm-hmm. at that point was like, what's that deck called? Like, Ezreal Twister Fate. Other than that deck, right? I don't think anything can really beat Ash Sedrani anymore. And there was a funny mm. thing about that deck, man. Whenever I mention S Sajwani, right, people often say, oh, that deck eats every single Demacia deck. And then especially when the meta evolved, when Sharp's, Sharp's was introduced, right, that's when yeah. Fioration really became, like, better. And then when players ask me, right, like, when it comes to Fioration, what's the ultimate counter? I say, S Sajwani, but only to a certain extent. And they will say, no lah, S Sajwani will totally destroy Fioration. Then I say, there's Sharp's side and there's Repose. And then they will talk about, you know, you can play around this, play around that. And then I, I will always mention that when it comes to Fioration, right, when the player pilots it well, right, there is no chance of that guy losing. And, you know, people will start to cite different sources here and there. But the good thing about Fioration is that it really teaches you, right, to even though you do not have, like, a certain out against a certain player, you just need to hold amount, hold, you just need to hold that amount of mana to ensure that your opponent thinks that you have an out to everything that, you know, mm. has, they are basically, like, formulating their head. And so yeah, when it comes to, like, all this, right? Your experience from playing tournaments and all this, hitting like back to back to back seasonal tops, right? Achieving second place and making it to worlds. What to you, right, is the most defining moment in your LOR experience or like your career so far? Yeah, people might, you know, recognize me as the second placer who lost to Mr. Bear's Doom Beast. Like yeah, a lot of people that. would probably expect me to answer that that's the highlight of my career, but. Actually, it's not. It's still the that duels of Frontera where we meet, we, where we met each other. Mm. You know, uh, that was the actually the last DOR for SEA. Yes, I remember. That and one. I, you know, I won it. So and pre- previous, you know, before that, no Filipino was able to to claim that title. So to me, that was the that definitely the highlight of the career. Why? Because it gave me so much confidence that mm. hey. I can go toe-to-toe with the best of Southeast Asia. And, you know, after that, there was no looking back. I had right. just such confidence in me, you know. I, I I believed in my skills and, you know, it reflected in my game. Yeah, I, you know, after after there, I did like some tournament recap immediately after like those of Runeterra. And then I did mention that the guy who beat me in semifinals finals eventually ended up winning the whole thing. And then I, I remember I said a lot of good things about the match I had with you because... When it comes to being down 0-2, right, most players will just give up. But then for you, you actually wound <laughs> the comeback and, you know, wound my ass in the end. And then to me, at the end of it, like, I was, like, so amazed. You know? This was the first time, right, in, like, nine years that someone actually gave me, like, an actual good fight in the tournament. And I was, like, so energized and so happy after that. It's like, I didn't really feel sad of losing. In fact, I was like, okay, that was sound weird, but I actually I meant to congratulate you for winning. And that's the thing. Because when it comes to, like, tournaments, like, you have to be gracious in losing and winning. And then when I saw that you can go this far, right, I was actually thinking that actually you might be the one who can eventually go very far in the region. Because at that point, right, when it comes to tournaments and all that, right, 
a lot of things were not firm yet. In fact, there were players in our region who were like topping tournaments here and there, but it was not consistent. In fact, the mm. word consistent came about where I think when you won DOR, right? You sh- you s- after that, you started playing in a couple of international tournaments and you were like topping. And I think you won one of them. And then eventually mm. there were like a string of tops and then you hit seasonals and here and there. And eventually, right, you managed to place yourself in Blaze International. And that's where everything really took off. Like you got your spot in Worlds and like you said, you're never looking back. And so like, yeah. So how has this experience been, man? I, I know it's like, very surreal ever since that one year yeah i mean looking back uh the past year how it started uh i i've been telling this to my teammates like i can't believe you know we got sponsored we're going to worlds um but then again uh people just might see the tip of the iceberg but you guys don't see the the training we do mm. like imagine playing one matchup for example um ash noxus versus ash noxus the mirror for like 20 straight games man that's that's exhausting and i want to puke afterwards and like <laughs> i don't want to touch that deck ever again mm. but you know that helps us a lot in in the main stage in the tournaments because when i face that certain deck like i already know how how it's gonna function so uh, it's not rocket science really guys it's just really hard work you, you might think being consistent is you know um, has a lot to do with like being skilled, naturally gifted. Actually, to me, it's not. It's really being, uh, yeah, the word itself, consistent. If you're able to consistently put in the hard work, put in the dirty work that no one else wants to do, like, you'll be able to break barriers. So I'd like, you know, to think that I can be an inspiration to others that Mm. isn't that skilled in card games or you're bad at math. I am bad at math, to be honest. So <laughs> Really? If, yeah, if I can do it, you guys can do it too. Dude, you're, you said you're a banker, man. How are you bad in math? Well, there's a calculator, there's, there's Excel. <laughs> so <laughs> that does it for me. But oh, in right, right. regards to like computing, that the actual damage in-game, I actually still use my fingers. Mm. So <laughs> I'm not a fast computer in, in, in by any means. So yeah, I think I'd like to think I'm still an average Joe, if you if you can say that. So, yeah, and um, yeah, I'm very glad like how far we've come, not both as a player and you know, me and my team. Mm. Because when when you mention about having a team, training together, testing many matchups, you know, sometimes it's like sleepless nights and all that because you're preparing for a big one. A long time ago, I used to do that. That was like a decade ago, and I can tell you that especially when you have a team where you have a bunch of friends who are like as dedicated as you are, it's really a damn good feeling because you know that at the end of it, right, regardless of the result, because most of the time you'll get the result you want because when you put in the hard work, you get what you want eventually. That's what a lot of players don't realize. They expect like, you know, I snap my fingers, I go into a tournament, I'm going to, like, I'm going to win the whole thing, but no, it doesn't, it doesn't materialize overnight because when it comes to tournament, right, it's like the final exam. People don't see like the practice you put throughout the entire year because, you know, some, some players believe that, oh, I... I can don't practice and I can win. But that's a very odd case. You know, and the thing is that since it's a card game, maybe that happens to you every single time. And and that's the thing, man. When it comes to practicing, right, for ladder and especially for, like, practicing for tournaments, right, it's very different, right? Because for ladder, you're basically optimizing a certain deck or, like, just trying to abuse a certain kind of deck to reach, like, maybe top 10 on the ladder. And then as for practicing for tournaments, right, you actually do more dedicated testing, like mirror matches for, like... Mm disadvantage matches for like that for like certain matchups where you are favored so can you like tell me the biggest difference right between 
ladder and practicing for competitive play to you? Actually, Hazelas, that's a very good point. You know, um, there's a huge difference between ladder, practicing decks on ladder and practicing decks for a tournament. Because in ladder, I think you build your deck, yeah, uh, either uh, you, you build it two ways. First is what you said, you abuse a certain strong archetype. Mm-hmm. And then the other one is like, you build it like a Swiss knife, where you ha- you can have answers to every deck that could pop up there. So yeah. the, the list itself would be very different. And then next, the biggest factor I would say is the what we call player agency. Like, not all ladder players will play up op- the deck optimally. So, um, I we've always uh, said this in in our team that don't base on ladder matchup. For example, you're using Ezreal Draven, and then mm-hmm. for example, you this you've been destroying scouts. It's like twenty zero, <laughs> but when you start practicing against your teammates, the outcome is very different. Why? Because uh, a much higher, you know, of caliber player mm. will be able to identify how to navigate the matchup. So we also don't trust like websites that have a matchup table. Uh, so we actually formulate our own, and you know that's the the rigorous testing we we go through. So if you're for example, you play top 32 in the next seasonals, I highly suggest find a practice group. Find a group of friends that you're going to scream with. Don't practice your decks on ladder because number one, it's going to screw up your match of knowledge. It might give you that false sense of security. Like, hey, I'm favored in this matchup. When, well, when a good player pilots the deck, it's actually the other way around. So uh, that would, I think, be the main tip i could give to everyone like stop practicing your decks on ladder uh find a find a fo- focus practice group that you can get into i don't know what groups are there maybe team space uh uh-huh. mm. what else what groups are there home of the aces in the philippines so yeah i think that's a good place to start you know you know what when you mentioned about the skilled matches i finally have someone that agree with me because you know the the matchup of overwhelmed shurima versus uh tlc and Nasus Trash, right? A lot of players are saying that uh, Overwhelm beats both of, both of those decks, right? You know, it's very mm. common, especially when you hear like, you know, random talk. Some players are like, oh, Overwhelm Shurima totally destroys TLC. And I do have like a couple of screen partners. Most of them, right, are on the same fence as me. I, I just tell them, even though TLC on paper, based on stats, can beat, uh, I mean, uh, Overwhelm Shurima on, on paper can beat TLC every time, right? There's a mm-hmm. reason why you optimize your triple flash freeze and you have double vengeance. It's so that right when it comes to that matchup, right, you always beat them. And here's like a funny stat that I share with another with another friend of mine. I think he's a psycho, he's a rank one of SCA. When oh, we yeah. play TLC, right, we never lose to overwhelm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because mm-hmm. that's the thing. A lot of players, like you say, they skill all their matchups, they skill all their ex- entire lineup, building a lineup, right? just so that they can beat like this style of decks when they think, oh, I'm just basing everything on the ladder, I will always beat the deck. And then when mm-hmm. it comes to the tournament itself, right, they get, oh my gosh, how come this deck suddenly beat me? Is it, am I not supposed to counter that? And that's, that's when you mentioned the thing. The, when you play against your own teammates, right, your own script partners, right, their skill cap is higher compared yep. to mm-hmm. on the ladder where it's just like, you know, some guy just pick up the deck, copy-paste, and then he runs it and, oh wow, it beats TLC every time. And that's when what Adele say is damn true. Ladder and when it comes to preparing for tournament, right, the win rate is very different. And so when it comes to that, when preparing for tournaments, right, 
I suggest having a team and screaming. Or you just have a couple of screen partners and you test your matchups. And let's talk about one thing, man. When it talks about streaming, I do know that Twitch is like the most popular platform for streaming Legends of Runeterra. But, okay, so that you guys understand, right? Adele streams, but he doesn't stream on Twitch. He streams on Facebook. And I would like to, I would like you to explain why you stream on Facebook instead of streaming on Twitch. Um, honestly, because... I don't know if you know this statistic, but in Southeast Asia, mm. Philippines is definitely the like number one Facebook user. Ah, serious? Because yeah, and by a mile, it's it's so skewed in in our favor. The statistics is so so skewed in our favor, like it's not even close. And I think the the average Filipino spends about more than eight hours a day on Facebook alone. Oh wow! So yeah, it's very insane, man. So. Yeah, I um the demographics, you know, for streaming in in Facebook is there's so much uh you know potential in streaming on Facebook versus Twitch if you're from the Philippines. I know it's very different, you know, mm. if you're you're outside the Philippines, Twitch is definitely top. And like there's there's no question that Twitch is the superior streaming plat- platform. Like mm. the 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 monetization model, the interaction of the the crowd, um, is much superior. That's like a fact. But then again, we we go back to the audience. Like my audience is yeah Filipinos from mm. the Philippines, and um, there's a lot of uh, like big names who's been telling me, Adel, you have to move to Twitch. But you know, it's it's kind of hard to uh, transition because I built. I think I built a decent community on on facebook so yeah that's the main reason why i stream on facebook and not on twitch ah i see okay that explains everything because i was not aware that the demographic for the philippines for facebook was that huge because to me i always yeah. thought that uh, a facebook page is what it is and when it comes to streaming on facebook i always think of people selling stuff on there instead of like streaming video games but i did stream on facebook before that was like six years ago when i still had a facebook account I remember streaming like Pokemon games, if I'm not mistaken. That was quite funny, la. Yeah. So okay, this was quite interesting, especially when I I found out. Okay, that's a good thing. Eh? This is something I realized about you. You do your market research before you do something. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> like it's it's quite hard if you you know put in the time and effort and there's no return. I think that's where my banking background comes in. You know, I do do the financial analysis uh, <laughs> and the returns of. You know my time and effort. Man, this is the first time. Okay, okay, this is damn good advice, guys. Especially what Adele just said. Yes, do your analysis before you make a decision. Because for me, right, <laughs> I, I usually operate on intuition. But then I, I do know because a lot of the listeners on my podcast know I'm a software engineer, which means that I'm very logical. But sometimes I can use both sides of my brains. I can like you know go in do some crazy thing, and then sometimes it doesn't work out. But for me, this podcast has been great so far because. I've been using it as a platform for people to know more about like the Southeast Asia region. Because when you know when it comes to podcasts, right, it's very dominated by the Western players. We barely got any voices in SEA. And I'm glad that, you know, I actually have a podcast for like about a year now. And players actually get to listen to something that is not uh, from a Western player. And so I'm very grateful for that. That was some market research I did before I started my podcast, mm-hmm. by the way. <laughs> <laughs> actually, we're, we from the Southeast Asia region, I think, should be grateful to uh, content creators like you who always thinks outside the box, you know. Not a lot of people in C do podcasts. Mm. Like I think it's less than 
the fingers on my hand, definitely. So yeah, uh, thank you for doing this uh, kind of content. Yeah, man. You know, hey, thanks so much. You know, the thing about me starting a forecast was quite funny because I played Runeterra in March. I think end of March. Then played all the way until like May. I always mm-hmm. wanted to make a podcast and then, you know, I thought I need to I needed to be a celebrity to make one. And then I just said, okay, you know what? I just buy a microphone and see how it goes. And then I started making one episode, make another episode. And yeah, this is where we are today with Adele, my podcast. And okay, so let's move on to the next topic, man. Patch 2.11. I know this is the part where everybody is like waiting, like, come on, here's a nuts. When are you going to talk about the patch? Yeah, okay, we're going to talk about the patch right now. Okay, so when it comes to the patch, right, I, I'm pretty sure that when you turn on the patch, you open the patch notes, you scroll down, you were like, yes, lots of changes. But the first part, which comes to my mind, I want to know, man, what are your thoughts on the Azir Irelia nerfs, especially to like Azir Irelia with dancing droplets as well? These three cards getting hit. What are your thoughts? I, we, me and Zero talked about this in a Filipino uh, podcast. Like, the way they nerf Azir Irelia, I think, is not hitting the right buttons. Correct. Like just hitting or hitting, I mean nerfing the the level up requirements alone, I think isn't enough because we are not addressing the main issue that makes Azirella broken, such as Emperor Days. Like that card should have been nerfed first before yes. the champions. Because nerfing Azir like that, it hurts the other archetypes that want to make use of Azir. Right? Like Azir, Azir Burn, Azir Noxus, right? It yeah. hurts Azir Noxus uh, as well when you want to hit uh, Azir Irelia. So um, I think the nerves are not enough. People still definitely see Azir Irelia in tournaments. Like Mr. Bear hit Masters with it. I think that alone is, you know, a, a testament to like we are not doing uh, the correct nerves on the deck. Yes. You know when it comes to Azir Irelia, here's the funny thing. I remember when the patch just came out and then I was talking to like Kalamitas and a bunch of players. They, they asked me like what is going to be the strongest deck in the meta. And my first reply was Azir Irelia. And they thought I was nuts. Until Mr. <laughs> Bear he masters with it. And they were like, what? How come? How? Why is Azir Irelia still strong? And then I just said that Azir still gives everything plus one. That's why it's still good. And they were like, really? Yeah. And really, a lot of players are like still abusing Azir Irelia now. And like, one more thing, man, the dusting droplet nerf. Do you think that the nerf is justified? Because the attune really made it like good. And without it, no one's really running the card anymore. Yeah, I think it's a warranted nerf. When when the card was released a few months ago, me and Zero was like, we said in the, in the Filipino podcast as well, like, why did they print this card? This is so broken. Like, one mana, elusive with attune... And the 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 draw potential, it's insane. Yes. It's, we almost like this is the best one drop in the game besides Dune Keeper. So yeah, I think the the nerf was just warranted. And going back to like what makes the the deck broken is yeah you're right as your gives plus one plus one to the units, but we have not addressed like why is Blade Dance one mana exactly why why is it one mana like it should have been at least two. So. Yeah, um, a lot of the, the problem areas of the deck still haven't been addressed. Yeah, man. You know the flawless duet, uh, when the card got printed, when I saw people abusing it for the during the first day around like two months ago, when I saw flawless duet, I was wondering, how is this even like existing in the game when there's scouts, when mm-hmm. scouts is badly playable? Why, why is a one mana card able to deal two damage, maybe even four damage? 
And that really, like, like blew my mind away. And that really, like, shaped the entire meta, like, two months ago. I remember, like, all of us were in it, right? We, we, we got the new patch, you know, we wanted to craft decks. Within the first two days, right, the meta was decided. It's either you're playing Azir Red or you're trying to find some way to stop the deck. And that was, like, wow, that was a nightmare situation, man. Definitely, yeah, I can agree. Like, it warped the meta so much, and it, it put a lot of decks, deck building restrictions. Like, she can't bring a lot of decks because of Azir Ariel, yeah. Yeah, man. And, oh, oh yeah, there's one very big, very, very big buff, sorry. Uh, this card got buffed to, like, okay, minus one cost. It went back to its original cost, which is, like, five, which is Karma. What do you think about Karma? Do you think that Karma will be, like, super playable again? Um, I don't know about the term super playable. It it can be borderline tier two at the most. Mm. Um, as I mentioned, as long as decks like Azirelia um, and the new archetype Lurk exist, Karma will have a difficult time because um, the tempo of the game as it is now compared to what it was one year ago is very, very different. The, the only fast deck before was you have uh, Burn, which Karma can counter, you know, Correct. with uh, Eye of the Dragon and... Um, health potions, right, I think. Potion, health yeah. potions, right? And the worst matchup would be Scout, which you can just ban. Mm. But the meta now, everything's much faster than Scouts, I would say. So Azirelia and uh, even the, the, the Lurk, those are much faster decks. And, you know, slow control decks will have a hard time keeping up with the tempo. Yeah, because uh, when the patch just came out on Thursday, right? Because I haven't touched the game since Thursday. I, I played a bit of Ezreal Karma. I, I was thinking, mm-hmm. that, you know what? Wow, Time Trick is uh, such an amazing card. Why not I add it into Ezreal Karma? Then I played a couple of games. I played against Lurk. I played against like Pirate Aggro. I played against uh, more, ver- more modern version of decks, like those which have Azir and, you know, Azir Burn and all that. And there's one funny thing that I realized is that the kit of Ezreal Karma or like running Karma, which... You run Karma without a Targon package, right? It's like you're asking to lose every game. Because the kit is so outdated. Mm-hmm. Your removal is matching one-to-one with what your opponent plays. And when there's cards that's being printed, like you mentioned, Azir Arena, right? They spawn blades out of nowhere. Their sand soldiers pop out of nowhere. Your removal cannot match what they're doing. Because everything they do is like, what? One mana, two mana. And mm-hmm. Ezreal Karma, or like Karma as a deck, requires like heavy investment. You play a lot of tools where you get like generation, like double the cost. No, I mean double the, the benefit during turn 10. But you never reach turn 10 anymore. The game is like over by turn 5, turn 6. And yep. running karma against luck, right? It's like a death sentence. Okay, I'm not even being funny. Because you really can't deal with luck that well. Especially when you're running Ezreal Karma, which is like a super sitting duck deck. And I really believe that eventually somebody will find a way to optimize karma again. But the thing is that when you think of turn 10 champions, right, so many decks, right, can win by turn 6, turn 7. And that's why I really believe that maybe Kama's time at the top is like, it might be back, but not so much again. And the next thing I want to ask you, man, the return of Bilge Water, especially mm-hmm. through Make It Rain, what are your thoughts about it? Yeah, um, actually, this... I would say this patch is the nostalgia patch. Yes. Because a lot of archetypes are being revived. So you mentioned Karma. Uh, you have Will of, Will of Ionia. And of course, the Nox Pilch Water. All variants. I think all variants are playable. Uh, I'm speaking of Pirates, TF mm. Swain, and Gangplank TF. So, yeah. you know, these three decks 
I think has a lot of potential and um I want to talk about more gang about Gangplank TF yeah. because uh, in these first few days everyone's been playing pirates and TF Swain but Correct. I think people fail to see the potential of Gangplank TF. I think in the previous patch it has been already settled that when all the three builds water uh decks collide Gangplank TF goes comes out on top. Like if you play the mirror for example if your opponent is bringing TF Swain and you're playing uh, GPTF you're you're very favored in that matchup and i think with the the nab package you know being buffed again like being reverted to what yes. it was i think uh it's you know i see a lot of potential in that deck i i've started building it but i haven't been able to play test it i need to get to diamond first i've been hard stuck in, in mm. platinum as well so yeah it's very interesting um let's see if the nox bilgewater can stand toe to toe well, with the new decks such as Azuriala and um, that the Lurk the Lurk deck. Hey Adele, do you know something? One year ago, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. This meta, our current meta, is almost the same as last year's. This time, this exact month, same meta. I just realized it's yeah. a weird occurrence. It's like they reverse everything a year ago, and everything is the same. Yeah, true. Um, I was joking that the first tournament I'm gonna play in, I'm going to bring Ash Noxus, Deep, and Ezreal Karma. So yeah. it's like the what, meta one year ago. Isn't that my lineup? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Man, it's, it's so weird, right? Like we come one full circle and we are back to the same, we are back to square one. Except maybe we have a little bit more powerful cards. Yeah, because I don't know, like a lot of players are saying that, oh, we need like a... I, oh wait, I can't remember what's that format called. Basically, it's like uh, certain cards are not allowed to be played. Then maybe another year, they change the number of cards in the pool. I can't remember what's that called. Do you remember what's that format called? Yeah, called rotating like there you have what you call standard yeah so for example they they rotate build water next year you can't play any build water card ah, in yeah, yeah, standard but you can play it on the legacy hmm. you know that could be a thing oh yeah i got one thing to ask you because okay guys this adele also plays another deck which is also very popular in the meta okay before in the meta which is like a petrico he is known for playing driven Ezreal. In fact, I've seen this play. I've seen him play this deck so many times until you know, is I I can sort of like tell what Adele's going to play on the ladder. But in terms of tournament, right, he always brings different decks, so you can't really predict on that. So I'd like to ask you, man, the nerfs to Tribe and Ramage. This one is super controversial because the Ramage nerf, right, to me is kind of justified because I've been calling for the two mana nerf to Ramage for a very long time since about a year ago. I've been saying mm-hmm. that the spinning X interaction together with all the Fodder's true Targon, right, really makes Ramage look like a you know, the sort of card which pulls you for a win out of nowhere because it allows you to drop like random cards to draw cards. And then mm-hmm. as for Tribeam, right, I always believe that this nerf is, okay, it's never supposed to happen. Because Tribeam is just, okay, I know I'll get flamed for this. It's very balanced. In fact, Draven Ezreal is so balanced, I can't find a fault in it other than Ravenous Flock. So what are your thoughts on the nerf to Tribeam and Ramage? Yeah, I think the devs are highlighting that they don't want a certain archetype to keep popping on the top eight of the seasonals. Mm. I think, yeah, they, they don't want because since the first seasonal, like, uh, and what's the very first one? Monuments of Power. Yes. Like, Draven Ezreal has been there in the top four, top the, the finals of of that uh, seasonal tournament. So I think they are addressing that that they don't want the same deck over and over again appearing in the seasonals. So, yeah, um, I think. Uh, I agree with you the, with the the rummage nerf. 
I think it's more of because they reverted karma, we need to keep the power levels of Ezreal karma in check. That's mm. why the rummage nerf was also warranted. But at the same time, uh, with regards to let's go to the deck that you, you've been talking about, and it's one of my favorite decks as yeah. well, is Ezreal Draven. So during the, the initial release and in the Filipino podcast, I, I, I mentioned that I think they killed Ezreal Draven with Tribeam being five. Because uh, if you've been playing a lot of Ezreal Draven, the the power spike of the deck is during turn seven if you're on odds. Yes. So if you're not, if you're in evens, it's turn six. Why? You can play uh, two, three cost spells and then use Tribeam to. So for example, you, you play two spiders to stun mm. two blockers and then you use Tribeam on the last blocker and you're going to be able to push a lot of damage. That's the power spike of the deck. But with the nerf to Tribeam, you can no longer do that. You can do that on turn 8, which is awkward because turn 8 is your Faron turn, right? Yes. So that's why initially I said I think they killed the deck. But interestingly enough, I played the deck today. I went 10-2 with it. Mm. It's crazy, man. Why? Because the top deck right now in the ladder, I think, so it's either Pirates and Turbo Thralls. Yes. And Ezreal Draven slaps Turbo Thrall so hard. I'm running triple Scorched Earth in my build. So, yeah, I think uh, the deck is still still very much viable. And oh, it also slaps Lurk. Like, yes, it, 100%. It destroys Lurk 100%. The spider, so, I think the... it's a very good deck at the moment. Spider right? on the Rek'Sai. <laughs> you play like the... Uh, uh, what's it called? Ever- no, no, what? There was a spider called something Sentry. I forget already. Uh, Arachnoid Sentry? Uh, Arachnoid Sentry, yeah. You know the name. I don't know the name. I only call it the Stun Spider. You Stun Spider, the right. side, and they're like, oh my god. Yeah. Or even the um the 3-mana three, three 5-1. Oh yeah. That spawns the stun, stun mm-hmm. spell. And then they're like, oh my gosh. And then the Rek'Sai goes back to the deck and you just ruin the whole day. So the, the, the fact that you mentioned about the Scorch Turf part against Turbo Trials, right, is the big reason why, right? When you look at uh, Azero Draven as a deck, it really has a lot of answers to almost every single deck in the meta. Even when there was TLC available, right? The deck also felt that there was a winning chance for you. As long as you don't play to lose. Like, even though they have, like, what, Blighted Revine, they have Avalanche, they have Vengeance, you know, they have a lot of funny ways to clear your 3 HP ingredients. The deck never really had, you know, outright lose. There was still a chance for you to win, you know, by gaining advantages throughout the entire turns. But then now with like the Tribeam nerf, maybe it hit the deck a bit harder, especially like you mentioned, the turn 7 power spike. Because turn 8 is meant for you to play Farron. And you mm-hmm. know what, just from that statement that you gave me about the double spider into the Tribeam, right? That is like the sort of play where not a lot of people are aware of it. Because when you see like players who run Azure Draven, right? They play very reactively. They don't really think like super far ahead of every single play they're going to make with that deck. And yeah, definitely there's one question I want to ask you, man. How do you like, you know, when it comes to a certain deck, how do you refine like, based on certain turns, like what sort of play you're going to make? Is it like true, you know, on the fly you think of it and then eventually you're going to apply it to the next few games if the scenario ever comes or this sort of thing is like, you made the deck so that it can be played this certain way. Yeah, I think when it comes to what you've mentioned, you know, understanding the deck and play it, playing it to its fullest potential, I think that's where our coach comes in, like, that's his greatest value to us. Mm. He he explains like how a certain deck functions. So, for example, 
he he with when it comes to Ezreal Draven, right? He said if you're thinking thinking like Ezreal Draven is a control deck, you're not gonna win a lot of matchups. Mm. Like you're gonna be screwed if you're playing it like a control deck. You're playing very actively, as you mentioned. Ezreal Draven is actually a hard tempo deck wherein the removals are there so you can push in damage. That's right. how you should be playing Ezreal Draven and not like being being super active, waiting to use your mystic shots, your yeah. thermal beams. It's not like that. It's you should be thinking how you will be able to push the most amount of damage. So that's an example. I think yeah, that's that's the difference maker in our team. We have someone like Zero Infinity who can explain like what each deck archetype should be doing. And we can align our place to that goal of the deck. Because a lot of people you know, I have been guilty of this in the past. Like, when I play a certain deck, a certain matchup, like, it's anything goes. I'm just going with the flow. I don't have a plan how will I, how will I win this matchup. But, you know, since Zero has put that, um, what, how how should I say this? Like, system in place. Mm. Like, let's follow these steps for this certain deck. And, you know, you, you, you immediately know what the play should be, what the optimal play should be. So yeah, I I give all the credits to our coach for you know being able to identify the the optimal lines in in each matchup. Yeah, speaking of zero, right? I think he has done an amazing job as a coach because I remember like during seasonals, sometimes in the last seasonals, for example, I was just you know casually we were talking about lineups and all that. He did ask me like what I'm gonna bring, and so I told him that I'm gonna stick the same lineup of like ASO deep and TLC. And the first thing he asked me was, uh, why do you bring deep? And then I just told him, I don't care what the ladder say. Deep just eats every single mid-range deck. And then he replied me the same thing. He just told me, you're right. I was also thinking of bringing deep. Because deep, as you said, really eats a lot of the mid-range matchups. And that's why mm-hmm. I can tell you, man, you, are, you guys are very fortunate to have Zero as a coach. Because he doesn't give you like stats just from a paper. He actually has like insight in the game. He knows like what is going on, even though he, he plays writer games, right? He has the game sense. He can tell like the, the state of the meta, what is needed to be brought to the tournament, how he's supposed to approach the game. And that's why I say that you guys are very fortunate to have him around. Mm, yeah. I mean, definitely he's one of the most gifted players I've ever interacted with. Like for me, I'm a very slow learner. I would take probably about 10 games to learn a complicated deck. But to him, he just, you know, one game and he already knows how to play it. So, yeah, there's there's really certain individuals that has, you know, that kind of affinity for card games. And yeah, as you mentioned, we're very, very lucky um, to have him. And as as he, he teaches us, you know, we hope to also uh, pay it forward to other people who want to, who wants to learn the game. Yeah, correct. And this is the final part of patch 2.11. Okay, this is the one deck which along with Azir Aurelia has terrorized everyone during patch 2.09 and patch 2.10. The Watcher getting nerfed. What mm. are your thoughts? Is TLC still relevant or is FTR still if or, or is FTR going to revert to being the Shadow Owls Frail Lock package for now? Yeah, um I think personally, uh that was too much of a nerf. But I'm not complaining as well because, you know, um, let's face it, TLC has been a bitch, you know? Yes, it doesn't yes. matter how good you've played turns 1 to 7, like you've uh, taken all the optimal lines. If you have the nut combo on turn 8, like you can't do anything about it. So I think it 
it's about time they killed TLC. Uh, and at the same time, I think they could have nerfed it much better. Like hitting five, eight drops is already hard. Yes. It's gonna be diff- very difficult for the deck to push it. But then adding the three additional cards that that's not removed on the deck. I mean, there's no reason to play the deck, right? Just yeah. play FTR. <laughs> or um, for us, there's the potential to play Anivia again. Yeah. It might be a toss-up between FTR and Anivia. So we'll see how the meta goes. But yeah, definitely those two decks are, are very viable right now. Yeah, most definitely. Because like you mentioned, Watcher is just too good. In fact, when I think of a deck, right? Something that's polarized the game for one and a half year. In fact, Lunterra has been around for almost, uh, I say one one year, eight months. When it comes to one deck, which has totally made the meta become so odd, it's definitely TLC. Because I try mm-hmm. to think of a day, right? Or like a deck, which actually has no fighting chance. You know, you play against Ezreal Kama, right? You just need to beat them before like turn 7, turn 8. Because the moment it's turn 9, they have like spell mana, they have Kama with deny and all that. Yeah, remember guys, there were no Bastion and no Nopify last time. It was really hard to clear Kama. And then when you think of Heimervi, right? Maybe the opponent Pepega, they run out of spell mana and then you just clear them. And then we move on to Darrowing. Darrowing is a sort of a mid-range aggro-ish deck which uh, sometimes doesn't even need Harrowing to win the game. And then we moved on to like different various like Lee Sin and all that. Lee Sin actually needs skill to pilot in order to win games. And then mm-hmm. we came full circle and we arrived at TLC. And I'm trying to think, is there a way for someone to mess up TLC? And then the first thought I comes to mind, no, no one screws up at TLC. Because all you gotta do is survive turn 1 to turn 7. TLC comes down, the Watcher comes down, you win the game. And that's why when you mentioned, man, like you said, this Watcher thing has really terrorized everyone and, you know, good riddance, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm very glad it's gone in the meta now. We can build karma decks. Yes. Because, you know, I let's face it, TLC killed karma decks. Definitely. Because the entire, the entire concept of control deck, right, is to have a game after turn 10. But the Watcher mm. ensures that there is no game after turn 8. It's basically your <laughs> deck is gone and you're like, yeah. okay, I lost. That's the, yeah, that's the yeah. bad part about the Watcher. Even though I abuse that deck, right, the deck just feels so dirty when you play it. I, I just can't explain yeah, it's 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 very disheartening for the opponent. Like, if your region doesn't have any ways to stop the combo, like you can't do anything about it. Even if you do, like if you have multiple stuns, he's just gonna do it again next turn. Yes. Right. So yeah, it's very frustrating to play against. The the best part about the watcher, right? Especially I'm a I'm a Targon player. I play ASO a lot, especially when people watch my stream. You know, the mm-hmm. fact that you have to invoke 5-6 times just to get Equinox, Equinox, Crescent Strike, uh, Obliterate, you know, you need to get Hush. It tells you something wrong about TLC already, right? Yeah, yeah. Just exactly. to survive turn 8, you need to invoke like 5 times. And sometimes you don't even get any of those cards. And you know what, you just scoop. And, okay, let's go to the final topic of today. The brand new meta in patch 2.11. I want to ask you, man, what are your thoughts on Pike and Rek'Sai? Basically, the Lurk package. Is it is it like a you know one time thing, or is it gonna stay in the meta for the for the long run? Uh, I'm not sure if you know. I'm part of the like early access team. Yeah, that I, we I'm have so early access to to the patch before it mm. goes goes live. It feels very much the same as when Azirialia came out. Mm. Like people saying it's tier two, guys. You should 
reevaluate how you evaluate the cards because maybe the builds right now are not optimal. Yeah. Maybe they're not playing it like an allegiance deck. That's why they're missing the the alert trigger so much. But if you build it optimally and people learn to start piloting it really well, man, it's the next Azirial, yeah, I tell you. It's not tier two. It's the least tier 1.5, but I think it's really tier one and it's definitely here to stay. Like there's uh, there's a lot of problem cards again in that deck. First of all, like there is no way to stop the interaction of Pike with uh what what's his skill? The the beast, the deep yeah be, uh, DBP I think DBF death from below death from below yeah like there's no way to stop it even if you for example you kill the 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 unit being targeted Pike will still come out yes and flip Pike. <laughs> Like, have you seen the videos of Flip Pike like, just un- obliterating the entire board? That's crazy. It's crazy, man. And there's no interaction to it. You like, can't stop. It's burst. It's burst removal. So this I think, thing, yeah. yeah, I think it's it's definitely the next Azirel, yeah. You know, when you talk about the Pike burst here, it's something which is so underrated because... Nobody has seen the full potential of the entire Lurk mechanic yet. In fact, most of the time you see Lurk now, right, it's mis- mainly just a series of misplays. Because I- mm. I've seen people run Lurk on a high level. In fact, I-, I did watch a bit of the early access. I did watch a bit of like, uh, on the ladder especially. Maybe the person that high roll a little bit. But then when you see it, right, the moment Rek'Sai leveled up and they got like the, the Zersai thingy, the 5 mana thing that gets overwhelmed and all that, I've personally haven't seen Pike level up. Okay, so I can't really tell you how terrifying that thing is. But Rek'Sai level up alone, right? It's just... Okay. I, I It's just damn powerful. In fact, I, I give it a week or two, right? And I think that Lurk will dominate the meta. You also believe that? Hey, I 100% agree with that, you know? um, It's it's a very, very strong... Like, you know, just give it time, people. Like, give players time to learn, to pilot the deck, 101% to its full potential and people will be crying about this deck like how they cried about Azirelia. There's so much so many thing broken cards in that uh deck. Like um the refill it has like what what's the the skill of Rex I call? Level uh, up, right? Or is the champion spell, the one that gives you the two lurkers in your hand, right? Yeah, that's so broken, <laughs> man. Like if you get the dollfish yeah. during the mid game or late game, it's it's practically over. There is no coming back from that, 100%. And that's why I say that. And that's why you and I say, the potential has not been seen yet. The moment that terror comes out from the top of the deck, that's it. It's it's just going to be... Okay, I, I've been saying this so many times, it's going to be the different patch and the same game. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what the devs over there are like thinking. They, the, the, the feel is very similar to Azirelia. Yes. Like... How sh- it's very hard to describe, but the feel of playing against it is is practically the same. I I I see so many similarities between Azrael and and Pyrexai. It's one of those like you have to build the your decks to count if you want to counter it. You have to build like a lot of removal, I would say. But it what what decks does have that like? 
it's only Ezreal Draven, right? Yes. That's the only that uh, they can beat. Outside Ezreal Draven? So in a tournament setting, if they ban your Ezreal Draven, what can you do? Right? Yes. You're really just a sitting duck when it happens. And we talk about Pike and Rek'Sai, right? Let's talk about the other champion which seems to be popping out in a lot of random decks. In fact, this this champion has not been like solidified yet. I would like to know your thoughts on Pike. No, I mean thoughts on Echo, especially in like the Shurima and Piltover and Zon version and the other version which I've been playing a bit, which is the Yeti and the PNZ version. What do you think about Echo? I think Echo is not as strong as Pike and Rek'Sai. It has potential, but it's not on their the same level as those two. Mm. Uh, initially, I gave it a rating of 6 out of 10. Why? Because Echo has already been packaged to be played with Shurima. Yes. Right? Because the level of condition is predict. And where is the, the predict cards? All of it is in Shurima. Yes. Like, I think Riot has basically said, oh... Play Echo with Shurima. You can't do. You can't experiment. Like, how are you gonna flip the champion if it's not in Shurima? And his kit with Shurima, he mm. lacks protection spells. I right. mean, four mana for two. That's so easy to remove. You have your Avalanche, Mystic Shots, Blighted Ravine. So many things can remove him, right? Mm. And how do you protect him with Shurima? You only have Right of Negation. That's too expensive. Yeah. You have uh Shapestone. But that's like Shapestone, but that's plus one only. Yeah. So he lacks the kit in, in Shurima to be effective because when you play Echo, right, it's not the support champion. It's supposed to be the main win condition. Correct. And it, I think it's very hard to protect him in that deck. When you put him in Frey Lord, mm, you have the protection spells, right? Yeah. But how do you flip him? That's the issue, right? Attack five times. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> he just predict five times with his yeah. strike. That could be a possibility, but it's gonna take a long time, right? Yeah, man. You you, so, you want the, the parallel convergence? Huh? What's it called? Is it called parallel convergence or is it? I forget what's the card called. Chrono break. Chrono break. Yep. Yeah, chrono break. break. Yeah, you want to use that and just like attack all the yetis, but let me tell you, Adele, yes, yes, never worked. That combo has never worked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very hard to pull off. Very, said, hard. very hard. You know, another issue with him, he dilutes the deck so much. Correct. Like, he puts in so many different cards. Like, there's one time I was playing someone in ladder with uh, Echo and Zillion. Mm. It was turn 8 and he had like 40 cards in the deck. I'm like, what's going on? So it it, it, it just, dilutes the deck so much. Yes, like, correct. It, it, does, it just makes the deck like a pile of good cards which cannot be drawn. Yeah, true, true. Okay, so let me ask you. What will be the top three decks for patch 2.11? Just for the month of July because we know that August will definitely have another patch. The top three decks. Uh, of course, Turbo Thralls will be there. Mm. Uh, Lurk is, I think, is definitely top three deck, and then probably Ezreal Draven. <laughs> I think that's the top three decks we're gonna see in in the meta in the next few days. Yeah, man, I, I believe that Azir Irelia will stay at the top. As for Trolls, yeah, I, yeah. The, the deck is just too strong. Okay, it's, it's strong, but it's not too strong. I can say that, okay. 
the high roll of that deck, right, just beats every single mid-range and control deck at its own game. And finally, True. for luck, right? Okay, luck. Okay, give me two more weeks. Okay, I gotta tell you that the deck is gonna be like... Okay, it's gonna be in everyone's nightmare. 100%. For luck. Okay, yeah. So. They'll be asking for nerfs. Yes, they'll be asking if you, if you ask me if it's top five, I think Azir Riyadja will definitely be there. And I think a lot of people have been dissing Thresh Nasus. Yes. Like, guys, the deck will still be present. Definitely in tournaments. Because Merciless Hunter still exists, guys. Like, the card just went down... Escape the radar, man. Merciless Hunter, man. Yeah, man. I don't know why they made that card. Like, it made Kalista look like a petty champion, to be honest. <laughs> Wait, Kalista exists? <laughs> totally forgot. Yeah. I mean, why? There's Mer- Merciless Hunter. Just play Merciless Hunter. Yeah, man. Hey, man. Adele, thanks so much for today's podcast, man. It's been a great one. In fact, having you today discussing about your journey so far, the patch, talking about the brand new meta... And so I'd like to take this time to ask you, man, do you have any shout-outs before we close this podcast, close to this episode? Of course, thank you to you know people like you, Awesome Hazelnuts, who continue to foster and nature the scene through by any ways, any means that they can. So uh, a lot of people, especially Southeast Asian players, you know, we we look out for our own. You know, I mm. think we've been one of the sort of uh how should we say this? Um, like supportive. Yeah, we're we're not barely noticed as a region, but you mm-hmm. know, um, yeah, I think our time will come. Let's wait for worlds and see how it goes. Yeah, man. And uh, so thank you, thank you to people like you. So there's you, Moonboy, uh, Jade. You know all these people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd like to also, of course, thank uh, my team. My teammates, everyone there. There's too many, you know, too many to mention. Mm. So shout out to you guys. And of course, our coach Zero for always guiding us in this journey. And by the way, it's his birthday today. So happy serious? birthday, coach. Okay, I got to draw him a message later. <laughs> yeah. And um, to, to our sponsor, Blacklist International, thank you for continuing supporting us and you know, believing in the game that we play. And, uh, you know, to, to, to everyone in the Southeast Asian scene and to all play, uh, players of Legends of Runeterra, you know, I think the best is yet to come. You know, we've barely even scratched the surface. It's a one-year-old game. Mm. I think it will only grow bigger and bigger from here. Yeah, man. And by the way, Adele, how do we reach you? Can you tell me, like, your various social media platforms? Don't worry, I'll list it all in my description box below. So take this time to tell us more about how we can reach you. Oh, yeah. My socials is uh, uniform in all platforms, so it's Adultrocity L O R. That's on Twitter. Mm. If you're face on Facebook, just search Adultrocity L O R on Facebook. Uh, what else? So yeah, that's basically it. Facebook and and Twitter. Okay, guys, I'll be listing all of Adele's social media links in my description box below. And so today's episode has come to an end. I'd like to give a shout out to Adele and Blacklist International for you know today's episode. And that's all I have for today, guys. Do check out next week one where I'll definitely be going deep dive into the entire meta and what has been, you know, dominating the meta as of yet, which will definitely be lead, will definitely be luck. So do expect next week's episode to be, you know, just me. I'm going to be talking about the game overall. I don't know you guys miss just me talking about the game. And that's all I have for today, guys. Enjoy your weekend. And that's game. Uh-huh.